series called Instead. Uh, we've been talking about replacing the old ways with the new ways. You know, Jesus is in the transformation business. He wants to transform us into something better. Now, He loves us. He loves you just the way you are, but He loves you enough to want you to get better. Amen? He wants you to grow. He wants you to get stronger. He wants you to become more and more. So we're looking at replacing the old ways with the new ways, and we've been looking at Romans 12 too, which says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we don't want to conform to the pattern of this world. There's a pattern of this world. There's relationship patterns. There's uh, you know, the things you should want, patterns, there's expectations, there's all these things that the world imposes on us, and it's a pattern of this world. But instead of that, we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then we can be people of forgiveness, we can be people of peace, we can be people who have joy in difficult circumstances, we can give thanks in all circumstances, we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind, we see things God's ways, we understand things God's ways, and we're no longer formed and conformed to the things of the world, but we're able to grab hold of the good things of God. Last time we talked about turning the other cheek, uh, God's divine de-escalation technique, you know how troubles can rise up, we got Thanksgiving coming up, family times, you know how it can start off nice, and then it just gets a little louder, and then it just gets a little louder, and then these different things happen, and that's escalation. And turning the other cheek is basically de-escalation. Somebody has to be the one to talk quiet again. Somebody has to be the one to not take offense, and that's turning the other cheek. Now, Jesus didn't always turn the other cheek. Sometimes he turned over the tables of the money changers. So the principle behind it is we need to stop the cycle of darkness. Sometimes stopping the cycle of darkness means you just be the bigger person and you swallow the injustice. You turn the other cheek. Sometimes stopping the cycle of justice means you have to step into a situation. You have to take your stand and flip over the money changers' tables. And we have to be able to discern which one is necessary in order to be able to stop the cycle of darkness. Sometimes you have to speak up to do that. Sometimes you have to hold your tongue to do that. But we want to be able to be the ones who stop the cycle of darkness and then learn the ways of God. Last time I said that turning the other cheek is hard. And when I went home, I thought, I should probably tell him one more thing about that. Turning the other cheek is hard unless God's grace is on you to be able to do that. And then it's not hard. There are things that, you know, I've seen in my life that are huge struggles until God just kind of goes, drink, and then it's okay, and you can handle it. It's and so we want to seek the grace of God because it's not always about gritting your teeth and fighting through. It's about chains being broken and being able to be in peace in that situation and do the godly thing. So just wanted to make that little adjustment, make sure that, that you know it's, yeah, there's times to grit your teeth and push through. But what we seek after is the grace of God to have, have it broken off of us. 
and then we're free. And that's, it's not hard to be free. It's glorious and wonderful. This week, we're going to talk about replacing uh, the pattern of the world's relationship with money that people have with a godly relationship with money. So we're going to take a little time and pray because we always have to pray a little longer whenever we talk about money. So let's, <laughs> so let's, let's get some good prayer time in here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy scriptures. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Father, that you don't leave us to just wander around and try to figure it out on our own, but you guide us by your Holy Spirit with that still, small voice, and you guide us by the truth of your holy scriptures. So, Father, help us to see what you've got for us today. Help us to understand this important topic. And, Father, each one of us is dealing with different things. We're all fighting different parts of the battle. We're all in the middle of different circumstances, and so we all need a different touch from you. And so, Father, I pray that you would touch each one of us with a piece of your truth that would be life-changing for us. Help us in that transformation. Lord, touch each one of us right where we're at by your Spirit so that we can take a step forward in understanding you better, in having our vision be corrected and see things your way, and, Lord, that we can just take a step forward in serving you more effectively. So, Lord, do bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Your relationship with money. Did you know you have a relationship with money? That you interact with money on a regular basis? People have an emotional relationship with money. They have a practical relationship with money. And so we want to look at our relationship with money, our relationship with finances. And I'm going to ask a few questions just to kind of try to figure out, uh, you know, help you in your own heart figure out where you are. Uh, is your identity, how you think of yourself, wrapped up in what you're worth, what your financial position is. Is your sense of personal security based on money? Do you judge yourself based on how you measure up with other people financially, where you are on the, on the food chain financially? Do you judge yourself that way? Is your view of other people influenced by what they have and what class they're in? Do you look down on those who have less than you and do you hate those who have more than you? Are money and God competing for time and for your affections? If you could have anything in this world what would it be? What's the first thing you would want if you could have anything? Our scripture with the word instead in it today is Proverbs 8. We'll read Proverbs 8, 10, and 11. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you can nothing you desire can compare with her so instead of choosing silver choose the instructions of god instead of gold choose knowledge instead of precious gems choose wisdom this is talking about what your heart goes after what you want what you choose 
to uh, pursue. Instead of money, go after the things of God. Now, this choice isn't an either-or type of choice. It's not an exclusive type of choice. And that was the first mistake I made as a young believer trying to understand how to serve God and live in uh, this capitalistic society. And my first thought was, well, if I have to choose between uh, the wisdom of God and money, the instructions of God and silver, uh, the knowledge of God and gold, I'm choosing the knowledge of God. I'm choosing God's instructions, so I guess I'm done with money. (laughs) I'm not going to pursue that. I'm just going to go this other way. I thought it was you pick one or the other. And the reality is, is that we don't pick one or the other. It's what do we have as our highest priority? Of course, you have to pay your electric bill. It's not very godly to not pay your electric bill. You need some money, pay your electric bill. However, you should love God more than you love paying your electric bill. Yeah, no problem, yeah. There you go. We're there. In fact, if we jump to Proverbs 8.18, just a little bit later in this chapter, it's talking about the things that you can receive if you have the knowledge of God, if you follow the instructions of God, if you have wisdom from God, then with me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. So what Proverbs says is, yes, Don't choose gold and silver and precious stones. Choose the knowledge of God, the instruction of God, the wisdom from God, because with them comes all those things. With that comes riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. So we must put God first, but we can trust God to provide for our needs and take care of us, and we can trust God that we can live a good life in this world, and a better one in the next. Let's look at an example of this process where God wants to know where our heart is, and if we truly, honestly put Him first, then He will pick us up in a lot of different ways. The most extreme example of this is with King Solomon. So let's go to 1 Kings chapter 3, pick it up in verse 5. You know, Solomon is the son of King David, the one who slew Goliath and became king. And now the nation of Israel is being established in the promised land. And now Solomon, the son of David, is able to take advantage of all the things that, uh, that the nation has been able to accomplish. And they're going to go into a time of, of flourishing. And so this is the time of King Solomon. And here's what happens at the beginning of his ministry, or his kingship, whatever you call that. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. What if God showed up in your bedroom and said, I'll give you one wish. Ask for whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Wouldn't that be something? How many people need a new truck? You know, <laughs> how about get me caught up on my mortgage payment? You know, what, what would you ask God for? Ask for whatever you want me to give you. What a moment. 
Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Solomon's referring to himself. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number, so Give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. So Solomon says, give me a discerning heart so I can govern the nation of Israel, your people, and distinguish between right and wrong. So that's what Solomon asks for. Help me to see. Help me to know right from wrong so I can make good decisions. That's what Solomon asked for. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? He's feeling the weight of the responsibility. Solomon was king. He had great responsibility. If we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are ambassadors for Christ in this world. And we also have great responsibility. We need to take seriously that responsibility. And if we're going to do it well, we're going to need provision from God for wisdom, discernment, and knowing right from wrong. So this is a good thing for us to seek after as well. What was God's response to this? Verse 10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, I always love that part. You know, like, who, did anybody in here think, you know, it would be awesome? If so-and-so would just drop dead, that would be great. (laughs) If I could have one thing, that they would get theirs. You know, I mean, uh, maybe... Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been one anyone like you, nor will there ever be. He's going to make him the wisest man ever. Moreover, moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. So Solomon looks at the situation. God says, whatever you want. He says, give me a discerning heart so I can know right from wrong and I can govern the people well and make good decisions. God says, that's a good answer. I will give you that. And riches and honor and long life. If we put God first, and we truly do, if we honestly do, then we can trust God to add other things to us. Now, everyone is not going to become as rich as Solomon. He was the richest man. If, If, I don't know what it is, but like, he had like half of the world's wealth. So like he was like, he, he still would be the richest man today. 
you know, like the richest ever. That's not going to happen for you and me, I'm not expecting. However, we can trust God for provision. We can trust God to lift us up if we put Him first. So I just want to mention some things about our relationship with money, and then we're going to look at taking it too far one way and taking it too far the other way. I really like to do that. I like to see what's too far you know, that way, what's too far the other way. That helps us to see where the proper uh, place would be in understanding how these things. First thing, though, that I want to say is that money makes a great servant, but it makes an evil master. Money makes a great servant. You know, paying your electric bill is really a very helpful thing. Paying your heat bill is really very helpful. Having a reliable vehicle is very helpful. Money makes a great servant, but it makes an evil master. If money is your master, you will steal for it. If money is your master, you will lie for it. If money is your master, you will hurt other people so that you can serve your master money. If money is your master, it's an evil, evil thing. You will abandon your family. You'll neglect your spouse. People will do bad things for money. And that's the great danger of loving money is that when you love money, people will give up things much more valuable than money for money, like their integrity, like their family relationships. One of the most dangerous things you can give up for money is God's call on your life. There are people who God said, do this, and it just didn't pay well enough, so they didn't. They gave up God's plan for their life for more money. What a horrible thing to give up so that you can die with a little more than you otherwise would have. The big danger in loving money is giving up things much more valuable than money for money. So let's look at the two extremes. One I'll call uh, poverty gospel or a poverty mentality, and the other one uh, prosperity gospel, prosperity mentality. Now, I believe in prosperity and I believe in sacrifice. I believe in both, and we're going to read scriptures that lean both directions. And so if we're reading scriptures, are we reading the truth of God? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so what we need to do is we need to see how these things fit together and how we understand our relationship with God and how we view money in the midst of that. So let's read some scriptures that look like we should just really not have any money and we shouldn't care about money and we should just be over in that poverty side. So again, we started with Proverbs 8.10. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. So no knowledge uh, you're in trouble, but if you have no gold, that's fine because you've got knowledge of God. So, you know, there's that. Like, don't choose gold, choose knowledge. If we only read that and we didn't read verse 18, we'd be thinking, okay, yep, forget the gold, let me have knowledge. If we went to 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 4, we've got some really good stuff here about our relationship with money. Now, we talked about 
uh, Timothy last week, but Timothy was a young minister and the Apostle Paul was kind of a mentor to Timothy. And so the Apostle Paul writes 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. It's in the canon, it's in the scriptures. And so these letters written to Timothy on how do you manage the church, how do you do this, it's in the, it's the Bible. And so uh, Paul is telling Timothy how to handle things and he's telling Timothy how to work with bad Christians, with people who are hard to deal with in church. So that's been going on for a long time. So here you go. Uh, They're conceited and understand nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So there's these nasty people in church. There's all this friction. There's all this yuck. There's all this strife. And to top it off, they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. These are the bad people. Now, a couple things with that. The first one is that this is talking about putting things in the wrong order. That financial gain is the goal, and if we can get God to do that for us, then God it is. If God won't do that, then forget it. I'm going to go figure it out on my own. It's godliness for the purpose of financial gain. Not because you love God, but because you love financial gain. You can see how that's a serious problem. The other thing is that I like to bring up with this one, how would they get under that impression? How would they get under the impression that godliness is a means to financial gain? If it's all poverty and misery and pain, how would they get under that impression? Well, everybody that's followed the Lord has had a really tough time of it, so I guess godliness is a means to financial gain. That, they, they wouldn't come up with that. You know, maybe it was the story of Solomon that we just read, where Solomon honestly just wanted wisdom from God, and God was like, great, you can have it. And how about some riches and honor along with it? Maybe it was the provision miracles that Jesus did, feeding 5,000 people plus women and children, feeding 4,000 people plus women and children. Turning water into wine, which was a provision miracle, about 150 gallons. It was not just a little parlor trick. It was a provision miracle. Maybe it was the miraculous catch of fish. Maybe it was the other miraculous catch of fish. Maybe it was the coin that was in the fish's mouth. Maybe it was all these provision miracles that God's people were experiencing that led them to think that godliness was a means to financial gain. But they were under that impression for a reason. Let's keep reading this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. This is going to be one of our closing scriptures at the end. Let me tell you, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness assuming lack is hard. Godliness thinking, well, I'm never going to really get ahead because I'm going to put God first. And having that nag on you is not great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And that contentment is not based on your bank account. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Food and clothing? Good enough? You walk? 
Trevor walked. <laughs> I saw your face was all red. <laughs> you know, food and clothing. No retirement. No health insurance. No vehicle. Food and clothing. We will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. So does wanting to get rich sound like a good thing? Oh, man. (laughs) For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Some people who were in the faith have thought, you know what, I need to take my financial matters into my own hands and have wandered away from God, lost things much more valuable than money, and been pierced with many griefs. How does this whole, like, wanting to have finances work out good sound? You know, like, like ah. Let's read some that lean the other direction. Again, Proverbs 8, 18, that we read earlier, with me, so with wisdom, the knowledge of God, the instructions of God, with me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. Awesome. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6. So here the Apostle Paul is not writing to Timothy, but he's writing to the church in Corinth, who he's having some pretty significant conflict with, but he's also uh, fundraising. So they're taking a missions offering to be able to help people in Jerusalem where there's a famine. And so he's saying to the various churches, we're going to have an offering, so make sure you're ready for the offering. And this is how he's telling them to be ready for the offering. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So if you give a little bit, you'll get a little back. If you give a lot, you get a lot back. Verse 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So make sure you've prayed about it and you know what you're supposed to give. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God." So if you put a lot in the plate, then guess what? God's going to give you more so that you can be generous on more occasions and that generosity can be translated into thanksgiving to God. So you can give in the offering for the Jamaica Christmas Fund and they're going to have a fantastic Christmas and they will praise God and you can turn a $50 bill into thanksgiving to God. So... That's interesting. If we give, we receive. And then Mark 10, 29 and 30. So here, the rich young ruler thing has happened. You know, the rich young ruler was like friends. He was a guy that really appreciated Jesus. He came up to him and he's like, hey, what do I need to do to have everlasting life? Like, that sounds really good. And Jesus says to him, like, well, follow all the rules. He's like, I've been following all the rules. He's like, well, that's great. Why don't you sell everything you've got and come follow me? He's like, 
No. However, so he gave up things more valuable than money for money. He gave up the possibility of being a disciple of Jesus on this earth, walking with him, watching him teach, watching him do miracles, being there. He could have been one of them. He's like, no, I'd rather keep my stuff. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. So now Peter asks, what about us? We did leave everything. We dropped our nets. We quit our businesses. We just walked away and came to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. So in this life, a hundred times as much, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, in parentheses, and in the age to come, eternal life. So yes, eternal life, hallelujah. Also, in this life, homes and fields and moms and brothers and sisters and children, hundred times as much. Again, we're seeing this theme of what we give up, God returns to us multiplied. How do you get a hundred mothers? I asked God about that because I was like, I don't think I understand this practically speaking. You know, how do you end up with, so you, so you, you leave your home and go follow Jesus and you're, you've lost some things. You've lost some relationships. If you've got unbelieving family, you have to walk away. I mean, you keep the relationship, but it's different. You walk away. How do you get your mother back? So I asked God about that, and he said, well, you know, how many brothers and sisters do you have now? How many homes are you welcome in now? How many moms do you have praying for you now? I tell you, for me, it's been more than a hundredfold. We get to be part of something bigger. We get to be part of God's kingdom and God's family. But if we read the, the prosperity-leaning scriptures without reading the sacrifice-leaning scriptures, we could slide too far that way. If we read the sacrifice scriptures without the prosperity ones, we might slide into this expectation of lack. How do we get the right wisdom and instruction from God? How do we get there? First thing, you must submit your life to God first and foremost. Come under the Lordship of Christ. Now, when you submit your life to Christ, your life gets better. I believe it's true. Your life gets better. It might not get easier, but it will get better. If you submit your relationship dynamics to Christ and you say, well, how relationships are supposed to be, that's what I'm going to do, then it might not be easier, but it will be better. And it will be better and better as the years go by. If you submit your financial life to Christ, it might not be easier. Which is easier? 
Disciplined spending or pulling out the credit card? Disciplined spending is better, but it's not easier. When you submit your life to Christ, it will get better. And it will, I heard it said this way, you're going to have to suffer pain one way or the other. You can either suffer the pain of discipline now, or you can suffer the pain of regret later. You got two options. (laughs) Either now you discipline yourself, or later you wish you had. It's the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. When we submit our lives to Christ, we come under the discipline of God. We follow His instructions, and then our lives may not get easier, but they get better. And then over time, they do get easier. Because better in the long run is easier. A better marriage in the long run is easier. Better finances in the long run is easier. One of the last strongholds in people's hearts, you know, we talk about giving our lives to Christ. We are to give our life to Christ. Jesus asks that of us, <laughs> that we give him our life. And he will give us something in return that's way better. Now, I see people kind of misunderstand that in a variety of different ways. The first thing is, lots of people want to give God their afterlife. You know, they don't want to give him this one. You know, I want to give him my afterlife. Yeah, I believe. And I'm not going to, of course, do anything that indicates I believe, but I want to have an afterlife with God, so I'm going to give him my afterlife. He's wanting this life now. And we'll give him some pieces of it, like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll say I, I agree with this theology or that theology, and maybe I'll put up with going to church a couple times a month, something like that. Okay, I'll give him that much. But I might hold back other things. Well, I'm still going to lie to people. I'm not going to give him, you know, my, my words. <laughs> I'll give him an hour hour and a half, Pastor Mike keeps talking, two hours on Sunday morning, you know, a couple times a month, but I'm not going to give him my words. And so there's all these pieces of our life we must give to Christ. And sometimes one of the last holdouts in our heart is our financial life, that the thing that we just can't stomach the idea of is submitting our finances to God. Let me tell you, every part of your life you submit to God gets better. Again, it may not get easier, but it gets better. And God, let me tell you, God is good. He likes you. He wants things to work out for you. Now, we live in a dark world, and there's suffering and pain, and sometimes when you flip over the tables of the money changers, bad things happen to you. Stephen was martyred, good guy, feeding widows and testifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. They stoned him to death. Sometimes those things happen, but then there's the blessings as well. I want to read 1 Timothy 6, 17, and I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to look at three more verses, just verse 17. Of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Again, we're back into chapter 6. This is the 
you know, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and it's that chapter. So Paul says to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth. So don't, don't look down on other people because they don't have as much. And don't have your security based on wealth because guess what? Everything can crash and we need to have our security in Christ knowing that we are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Tell them not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So if you're a rich person, what's God's plan for your life? Don't be arrogant, don't look down on other people, trust in God, and enjoy the things you have. Giving thanks to God. Give as the Spirit directs, share with other people, Don't feel guilty. Feeling guilty for having something is in that poverty mentality. Instead of guilty, feel thankful. Feel thankful. God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. If you know you're holding back from God, stop doing that. But if you're giving what you know you're supposed to give to God, you've got a clear conscience between You and Him, enjoy what you have. You may have beautiful, wonderful things. Enjoy those things, give thanks, and be willing to share. The basic concept is Matthew 6.33. Matthew 6.33, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If we put God first then the things of this world aren't going to matter so much. They're not going to be as important to us. They're not going to have a grip on our heart in the same way, but God can give them to us, and then they don't take us away from God. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. And we're going to pray on 1 Timothy 6.6, which says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment, is great gain. I want to proclaim over you godliness with contentment. People who are in the poverty mentality, again, they think godliness means lack. Godliness means pain. Godliness means I don't get anything enjoyable in this life. No, God richly blesses us for, for our enjoyment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And that's not based on our financial situation. It's based on knowing the love God has for us and knowing our future that we have with the living God. We are citizens of heaven, co-heirs with Christ when we put our faith and trust in Him. Let's pray along those lines, then I'll open up the front for personal prayer. Prayer teams are here They're ready to pray with you. If you just feel in your heart, man, I need some prayer. I want to start a relationship with Jesus. I need to submit a part of my life to God. I I need help in a particular situation. I need wisdom like Solomon. I need to understand. Then come up and receive prayer. But together, let's pray for godliness with contentment. To have faith for that, to trust God for that because God is good.
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and we honor you. We thank you, Lord, that your plan isn't for us to be miserable. Sometimes your plan is for mighty sacrifices. But those sacrifices are better than running from responsibility. But Father, your word says that godliness with contentment is great gain. We want great gain. We want godliness. We want to stand on a firm foundation. We don't want to have our lives based on lies that when people find them out, everything falls apart. But we want to be standing on your truth so that when everything comes to light, we are still on a firm foundation. And Lord, we want to be in a place of contentment. Lord, a place where we know that we are standing firm on you and that the things of this world, as enjoyable as they may be, are just the things of this world. But we have the things of your kingdom. Let us be content in that, knowing your love, knowing your peace, knowing your joy, knowing the security that comes with being part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Father, Give us godliness with contentment. And Lord, I I pray a blessing over each person in this place. Lord, I pray that your peace would be upon us, that we would put you first, and that we would just be thankful when things are added. Lord, that we'd be diligent as we work, diligent in our businesses, diligent as we choose uh, what to do with school and those sorts of things. But Lord, asking you for wisdom, trusting you, and being thankful when you add things to us. So Father, give us that joy, give us that peace, help us to know how much we're loved so that we can be a light in this world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.